Welcome to the Sciences Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Coming in response to China's Made in China 2025 initiative, which pushes to make China a competitor in advanced manufacturing, a flurry of tariffs is leaving many U.S. businesses unsure of what the future holds for Chinese trade relationships. The main tariffs going into effect in the next few months include Section 232 tariffs, which affect steel and aluminum trade, and Section 301 tariffs, which have a much broader reach. Within that reach falls chemical distribution, and here to explain how tariffs could permanently impact chemical trade for producers and end-users are Ben Sawicki and Matt Francoeur, marketing and sales specialist and regulatory and sales specialist for the chemical company. TCC, which distributes an assortment of chemicals from cosmetics to food additives to plasticizers, has found its products among Section 301 tariffs, including some that have no direct American competitor. Suwiki and Francoeur break down the process of challenging tariffs as a producer, the impact of 10-25% tariffs on crucial agricultural chemicals, and how to react to unexpected tariffs as a business owner. Ben, Matt, great to have you both on today. How are you doing? Good morning. We're good. How are you? Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm doing well. You know, enjoyed my weekend and now back at it for a busy Monday, including a great podcast with y'all, which I think is going to dig into some really timely issues, uh, which are developments in Chinese tariffs and how that is going to affect chemical distribution globally. And I know the chemical company is in charge of distributing a lot of different kinds of chemicals that affect a variety of industries, which I think is really important for understanding, you know, how these tariffs are going to affect you in a variety of different ways. So why don't we start with that, with a little bit of info on the chemical company. I'd like to know, both for me and for our audience, what sort of chemicals do you distribute um, and what industries are they a part of? Yeah, so uh, the chemical company, we're a bulk chemical distribution firm founded and still headquartered in Jamestown, Rhode Island. Uh, We were founded by Nick Roach, uh, who's currently the CEO, and his son Rob Roach is now the president and oversees a lot of the day-to-day now with the business. So proud to be family-owned, and we have a a great group of people and great organization up here in Rhode Island. Yeah, as you said, we're we're a bulk distribution firm, um, so we operate globally, definitely within the U.S., Latin and South America with um, some operations in in Europe and Asia as well. And we have a satellite office over in Nanjing, China. Um, So we operate, our our biggest product line by volume is plasticizers. Um, We're also big in oxo-alcohols. We do some with the agricultural field as well. So a lot of different stuff. We do a good amount of business with China and we're always looking at at Chinese imports, which is obviously why the tariff uh, implications could be pretty large for our business specifically. But we are pretty well-rounded and do operate from... Uh, Europe, Canada, Latin America, South America, um, as well as obviously U.S. operations too. So we're obviously monitoring the situation closely, and we're happy to have Matt Francoeur sitting here as well, uh, monitoring a lot of the the regulatory stuff, both with China specifically and and otherwise. So he's he's been a great asset to TCC, and we're happy to have him. And obviously excited to be on the uh, on the podcast to to talk about a little bit and, and see what we're seeing. Absolutely, absolutely. So. I'd like to know a little bit more about that relationship with China. Um, you know, how long since the chemical company has been around has there been that line of trade with China? And what has that relationship been like? Uh, you know, what, what kind of chemicals are you importing from China? 
And you know, why are they seen as such an important partner in this trade? China's always been important, I think, in the chemical industry. Obviously, both myself and Matt are 25 and under age-wise. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Rob and Nick have been around a, a whole lot longer in the industry. Uh, but China's always been an important partner, for sure. Uh, obviously, one of the big ones for us is Dysine Diamide. Important because there's no other producer. Um, but China's always had business operations where they are able to produce a variety of different chemicals at a low cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, the convenience of a, a low cost and, and relatively easy shipping in and out, you know, it, it is obviously takes a good bit of lead time to get over here from China, but it is based right on, you know, coastally. Um, so there is a, you know, that ease of, of transport via vessel. Um, so I think it's been important for a lot of reasons. I think Nick and Rob knew that it was important a little while ago and obviously set up that, that satellite company. We have two full-time uh, staff over in Nanjing, China, primarily working with uh, vendors and manufacturers and producers over in China. So we have that pretty ease of communication with China versus it, it can be a little bit difficult sometimes dealing with a variety of different manufacturers over here in the U.S. Uh, so they're a great asset for us. And I think these tariffs are might, might change the global landscape of how important or unimportant or where China fits into that distribution strategy and that manufacturing strategy for a lot of chemical companies. Obviously, I think they're not going anywhere. They're always going to be a player and a big player at that. But I think these tariffs could definitely change that landscape and it'll be easy to see kind of where the where the dust settles and, and how that ends up. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what the what the effect of these tariffs is going to be on that relationship. Uh, so let's dig into how these tariffs specifically affect the distribution of chemicals, especially for the chemical company. Now, I, I know there are different kinds of tariffs that were proposed by President Trump, and uh, they affect different kinds of products. Um, some of them, and most of them actually don't even affect the distribution of chemicals, which is, I guess, a relief. Um, so, Matt, could you dive into a little bit of the different tariffs that are coming through and why it's important to understand all the different kinds of tariffs and not just the ones that are going to affect uh, distribution of chemicals. Understood. Yeah. So uh, to kind of kick it off, I think it's important to draw a distinction between the two main categories of tariffs that have been published. The first, um, you heard uh, the steel and aluminum tariffs that happened, I think it was back in January to March. Um, Those are based on Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act of 1962, which gives uh, legal authority to impose tariffs based on national security interests. And that, you know, falls largely into the discretion of the president. And the ones we're talking about here today are uh, Section 301 tariffs, which fall under the Trade Act of 1974, which allows the U.S. Trade Representative to open investigations and make uh, rulings on unfair trade practices. These investigations can be opened by the U.S. Trade Representative, um, Industry Petition, or the World Trade Organization Disputes. And these uh, happen to be opened by the U.S. Trade Representative in response to um, intellectual property theft and made in China 2025, um, two you know pretty large issues on the grand scale with China and ones that have been you know not addressed so much in the past. So under the Section 301 tariffs, I'm sure you've heard of a there's three lists uh, which can also be called the tranche. Um, list one uh, is a 25% tariff on about 820 items from China. Um, that one is final and in effect, and it really doesn't affect the chemical industry too much, like we said before. Uh, the bulk is se- are sections 84 through 90 of the tariff bill and include uh, electrical and mechanical machinery, which really um, have a large effect on the automobile industry as well as agriculture. 
Um, the second of which you'll see is kind of a big theme with these tariffs. The agriculture industry has been very adversely affected. List two is also final and in effect. It's a 25% tariff on uh, 280 items from China. It was effective as of August 23rd, so fairly recently. Um, and it contains um, 279 of the original 284 tariff lines. And uh, there was a tariff line reduction because there are, I think, uh, almost a thousand industry comments not not support in the kind of uh, fighting and petitioning these tariffs. The only other recourse that uh, industry has besides that is a uh, product exclusion request, which uh, for list one, there's a deadline of October 9th. So that's coming up pretty quickly. Again, for the chemical industry, not terribly important. Um, in list two, that uh, effective date or the product exclusion request deadline uh, has not been published yet as far as I know. And really what it comes down to for us is list three which is uh, 6,000 items from China, which is substantially larger than the other two. And it also includes, or it affects $200 billion in business with the US and China. It's extremely heavy on chemicals, uh, notably in sections 28, 29, and 38, which to us means organic and inorganic chemicals. And so far, like I said before, we've identified 21 of TCC's chemicals that are imported from China that are listed on there. Um, the notable one is uh, diamide, which is only produced in volume in China. And like I said before, important for agricultural applications. And that, yeah. that, that piece yeah. with China, too, with Dyson Diamed, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, obviously you know a whole lot more of it than I do, um, but the point of the tariffs is to give the advantage or not give an unfair advantage to a international producer. So with Dyson Diamed, it almost doesn't make sense because there is no U.S. producer that we could be taking um, profits away from. Exactly. That's exactly it, which, I mean, in cases like that, which are from my point of view, seem a little bit few and far between, which is good. You know, it does really negatively affect American business and, you know, the ag agriculture industry as a whole. Sure. And uh, for list three, it's kind of interesting. It was originally proposed with the 10% across the board tariff, but um, there have been, you know, uh, kind of rumblings and uh, with interviews with President Trump talk about moving it up to 25% across the board, which, you know, difference between 10 and 25% where you're bringing in hundreds of thousand dollars of work, worth of chemicals with each shipment is massive. Sure. It's a huge Absolutely. difference. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I find it interesting that this is in a response to Made in China 2025. And, you know, clearly the point of that is to make sure that there isn't an unfair trade advantage with that international partner and that, you know, we aren't that that relationship isn't stepping in the way of made in America or, you know, in, in our personal um, business interests. But like you said, it's interesting that with that chemical, which is one of the um, one of the biggest chemicals coming out of China and it's only produced in China, it seems odd that the tariff would affect that chemical when there isn't uh, any sort of American producer. So why why do you think that that, uh, that chemical, which is so important to the agricultural industry in the United States, is now going to have a tariff imposed on it? And how do you think that that is going to affect the agricultural industry in the States? So with 6,031 products, obviously, I, I don't think someone sat there and, and analyzed each product for an hour to make sure that you know this was a, a good use. Um, so obviously, I think that's where these retaliatory comments and, and public comment hearings come in. And that's why you know, the, the, the process works so well. I, th I think hopefully a lot of people that play with Dyson Diamide or, or import it or use it however they might would be hopefully one of the ones that 
if it goes through the process and goes correctly and all the, all the facts are correct, that hopefully will be taken off the list because there is no domestic source that we're competing against. Matt, you obviously might have a better reasoning or, or better thought process behind how that might have ended up on the list. But from someone who kind of has a, a high level understanding of everything going on, that's, that would be kind of my two cents. No, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, you look at list one and two um, with 818 items on list one and only 280 on list two. Uh, you can definitely see that they cherry picked a little bit more what uh, products would specifically affect, you know, Chinese production. And I think with list three, what you see is the majority of three sections, including chemicals, just being included. So it looks like someone kind of copy pasted from the uh, <laughs> from the tariff uh, tariff document. Yeah. And I think it's important to note too. Obviously, the chemical company we're we're primarily in bulk distribution. We don't produce or manufacture or blend or anything like that. Um, but we are, you know, one of the players in what's often a pretty long supply chain between people actually producing the product over in China, coming through us, who we sell to a customer, who then might be another customer or a distributor or whatever the case might be. You know, there's there's a pretty long supply chain. So even though we're not an end user, we're not actually producing product for an end user, or you know, we could depending on the the end use of it. It's important for everyone all the way down the supply chain. I mean, it's going to increase costs and uh, be, be a different accounting function and, and kind of that whole thing that we've never seen before um, all the way down the supply chain. So it's not going to affect anybody more than anybody else. I think you know a 10% increase is going to be a 10% increase all the way down through the end user who likely will be you know hit, hit, the, hit the hardest, depending if they can raise their prices to accommodate or not. Right. And let's say the end user can't raise their prices to accommodate. Um, you know, how, what would that effect look like? Yeah, and that, that's a situation that's come up a couple times already with with speculative conversations, depending on what may or may not happen. Um, you know, there are situations where certain end, end users might have to set prices for a year or six months or they might have to do contracts or a big box retailer might make them give them a, a you know, six month price quote. So it's definitely happened. And I think there will likely be some people that unfortunately end up getting burned just by the, the way that it is. Um, I think everyone is understanding of it and, and appreciates kind of the, uh, I don't want to say craziness, but you know, it's kind of a, a, a poor word for it, but it is kind of a crazy situation where it's something that no one could have foreseen. So unfortunately, I assume some people will unfortunately get burned by it, but I, I think that might be a little bit uh, rare of a situation. I think in a lot of cases, unfortunately, prices will go up, you know, it could negatively or I guess positively infl in, uh, impact inflation and things like that. So it's I think there's a lot of speculation to be had and um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how things really settle um, probably more on a, on a case by case basis, depending on the end user and the different industries and, and how things operate on, on kind of the back end pricing side. So, yeah. So with list three having so many items on it, I, I think everyone can be sure that there is at least going to be some reduction. Are there any other items? on that tariff list that you can point out or that you remember that um, might have a large impact, maybe even outside of the chemical company's reach. Uh, some, some chemicals that have a huge market here in the United States that are very important to their industry and that you know uh, placing a tariff on them might might affect the balance of things. Yeah, I think uh, definitely one can draw attention to is a uh, dipic acid, which we're re really seeing a tight market here in the US. And there was a uh, production recently opened up in China and expanded in China. Um, and it's extremely important to the plastics industry. And that one is actually under list three as well. And I think that, you know, for a little bit there before these tariffs were announced, you could expect a little reprieve in that industry. But now it's uh, <laughs> definitely really negatively affecting it. And I think people are starting to work, look for 
other sources outside of China. Yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of products that are large scale and are using a lot of different stuff. It may just not apply to our business. Obviously, with 6,000 products, we kind of have to pick and choose which ones we're monitoring closely and, and seeing what's happening on and, and trying to leverage one way or another. Um, I'm sure there's tons of products that are used in, in incredibly bulk quantities that are going to impact things. And I'm sure there are situations where there's people buying things that are two or three processes down the supply chain and a uh, you know, product 2,418 may have a 25% tariff now. And now all of a sudden that, you know, their, their end cost two or three steps down the supply chain is going to all of a sudden be 25% higher. So in some situations, I'm sure it's probably difficult for a company, even if they wanted to monitor and see, you know, what's going on. If they're buying 10 products and each of those 10 products has 10 things that go into it, you know, it's difficult to monitor a hundred different products, three steps ahead of the supply chain. So it'll definitely probably take a little while to shake all the way down and, and have people informed on what's going to impact them or not, especially as we kind of don't know hundred percent yet. So I'm sure there will definitely be some case by case confusion and, and some large scale products absolutely that are going to be included, you know, that'll, that'll shake up big supply chains. That's it. Yeah. And it's, it's thankfully it's not all doom and gloom. There was a recently got repassed was a miscellaneous tariff bill act, which uh, is passed every couple of years. I don't, you know, barring that the house or Senate have an, have an issue with it. But what it does is it takes products that are, you know, important to U S U S production. Um, and really they, they take three, three things into consideration when they, when they consider putting a product on there, um, that it can be administered by U S customs and border protection, uh, which means the reduction in tariff is easy to implement, um, that it doesn't exceed, uh, $500,000 a year in reduction. So tariff reduction, uh, which would equate to uh, revenue loss for the U S and it's non-controversial meaning it doesn't hurt American business interests. So stuff that's not really produced in America to begin with. Um, and that uh, list includes, I think about 1500 products and a lot of them are chemicals and it affects two of ours uh, to name them. It's dimethylmalonate and monopotassium phosphate, which are, you know, pretty, pretty big in our, in the grand scheme of things for TCC. Um, so it's great to see, you know, a tariff reduction there. Um, it was verbally passed by the Senate back in, uh, on 726. So was that July 26th? And uh, the House agreed to Senate amendments just a few days ago, and it was uh, presented to President Trump on uh, September 6th. So we're waiting for a signature on that. So, you know, with uh, the kind of House and Senate fighting back against these tariffs here and the, you know, concern for American business interests, it's really great to see. And I'm hoping that other chemicals or other companies (laughs) see a bigger tariff reduction than we do. It's for us, it's two out of our 21 products that are affected by the tariffs in the first place which is, I mean, it's not nothing, but I wish it was more. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to note, too, that there are some pretty good checks and balances, which is obviously, as we all learned in our elementary school history classes, what the U.S. government's built upon. So it is good to see, and I think it's it's been interesting being not so involved with it, but just sitting next to Matt, who's incredibly involved with it, and, and seeing these checks and balances that take place between the tariff bill and, and each Chemical, or each tariff list having a comment period and a rebuttal period and a product exemption period. Um, you know, it's good to see that there are the checks and balances. There are the opportunities to have your voice heard uh, if things are going to you know severely and negatively impact your business. So I think that's important to note too that there are all these good processes and hopefully companies and, and people out there are, are taking advantage of those to to have their voice heard. And those two chemicals on the miscellaneous tariff bill. Could you walk me through their applications and their importance in the U.S. market? So it'd be really great to have a salesman for those here. (laughs) I can't actually say too much for myself, but um, I know that I think it's uh, potassium phosphate, which is one one of the ones I referenced earlier. Um, It's largely only produced in China and it has a large effect on American business. 
And I wish I knew the applications exactly for you. Yeah, and we, we do sell, we have probably 40 or 50 core products in it. A lot of them that are a little bit on the smaller scale, at least for us, you know, they, they may be large and different business applications, but for us, they're a relatively small um, piece of the, the businesses we're operating in. Um, but that's not to be say that it's not going to either positively or negative, negatively affect companies in other situations. I'm sure, you know, we get approached all the time for companies looking for massive volumes compared to, to, to what we've dealt with in the past, just because it's not a real, real big one for us or a real strong one for us. So I, what I'm hearing here is that there are a lot of these chemicals that are solely produced in China that are you know, getting some tariffs lumped on them. And clearly, like list three has over 6,000 items on it. So like we've mentioned, it probably wasn't that uh, cherry picked or the list wasn't mapped out that in depth. It was like kind of slapping everything on and then doing some revisions afterwards. But, you know, it sounds like a, a lot of these products are still getting tariffs, even though they're only produced in China. And so that gets me thinking, do you think it's valuable to even produce some of these chemicals in the United States, you know, locally? Do we have the skilled labor force for it? Is that something that could be um, could be seen as a solution to this issue? Or uh, should the solution just stay with, okay, we need to keep these products being imported from China and figure out uh, figure out the best sort of trade deal to make that continue to happen? Yeah, I would say that it's it's a, an option for certain products. Um, you know, there's gonna be certain things that I'm sure will shift to production in the U.S. or over here. But I know there's a lot of a lot of products included on the list are produced in other countries. Other, um, you know, so a lot of them are produced in Europe, throughout Asia, um, some in either South or Latin America. So it may not be a matter of increasing production necessarily elsewhere. Although we obviously will need you know more capacity if if these plants either um, Slow, slow down what they're producing, or even we've seen some just come to a halt because they can't eat the you know the twenty five percent increases for whatever reason. So we definitely will probably see increased capacity, whether that is in the U.S. or elsewhere. I think it's just going to depend on on a product basis. You know, there's some stuff that might have some pretty severe regulatory issues with hazard materials or toxic materials. I'm sure that's the case, as I'm sure Matt could could elaborate more on. Um, the other thing I think we'll likely see with, you know, if, if a product's big in China and all of a sudden there's a 25% increase on that price from China, more than likely we would assume producing partners and, and manufacturers from other geographical locations are just going to add 20% just because they can to stay competitive. So it's going to be interesting to see if, if that is the the situation that ends up happening or or not uh, and kind of what, what may shift over to the U.S., what may shift elsewhere, uh, other geographical locations. But it, it definitely will be an option and I'm, and I'm sure we'll see increased in at least some some capacity because that, that extra or lost capacity needs to go somewhere. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess to follow up on, uh, you know, the environment boils down to environmental regulations. Um, China obviously has been, you know, getting more and more strict on the environmental side, but still a lot of these chemicals are pretty nasty to produce. So that's a reason that uh, they can be produced in China in the first place. And I think, uh, it's hard, you know, it's really hard to say whether or not the, the American businesses will consider moving to production to the States just because of the amount of infrastructure and the cost of it uh, to begin with is huge. And I think for something as temporary as tariffs can be, it might not be a safe investment for some American companies. I think Ben, you know, again, hit the nail on the head that if there are other sources abroad or in the U.S. that we can turn to, that's probably what we'll do. 
rather than you know starting on new production. Sure, yeah. I mean, the infrastructure alone uh, would probably put these companies out millions and millions of dollars. So if uh, if the potential that you know the miscellaneous tariff bill might cut or reduce some of those tariffs, um, even if that's uh, an inkling of a chance, I'm I'm sure that will be the more appealing option than saying, all right, well, time to just produce in house. That's it. Yep. Yep. And I think it's a, it's a lot of hoping and waiting for that. And, uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, there are ways to combat the tariffs, um, not just through stuff like the Miscellaneous Tariff Bill Act. There's the um, product exclu- exclusion request, which, like I said before, had been dropped for list one, but not for two and certainly not for three because that one has not been finalized yet. But, um, right. you know, it's, a, it's, it's an opportunity for American business to state exactly, you know, why they need these products, you know, without tariffs on them. And it almost seems like these regulatory bodies that are putting out these lists are hoping and expecting companies to put in these exclusion requests and things like that. Cause you know, I think the people producing these lists aren't experts by any means on all 6,000 products on this list. So they're going to, you know, kind of put things out there and, and see what happens. There might be some that, you know, there's companies have no problems with that, you know, that it is what it is, but I'm sure these regulatory bodies appreciate the comments and, and expect the comments. And I think that's from what I've heard from, from the work Matt has done with submitting these comments on behalf of TCC is, you know, to, to make sure you're doing it and, and take advantage of all opportunities uh, to, to have your voice heard. Cause it's, it's almost expected. It almost seems like, and it, it, it is an asset. It's not just submitting something that goes into some mailbox somewhere and never actually gets read. So it, it seems like right. it's been an, an important part of the process. Right. Yeah. It's important to have that open line of communication. And it's, I mean, it's definitely beneficial that at least from your perspective, you feel like um, those concerns are being listened to and they're not just being tossed or it's not just a formality, um, you know, that there actually is an authentic conversation there about, you know, we don't want to we don't want to screw anyone over here, uh, making sure that some of those products that are only produced in China don't retain a 25% tariff or something something large that could heavily affect um, the market here in the United States. And correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but all those comments that are submitted by anybody are publicly available as well? Yeah, they are. So if you go, uh, it's called regulations.gov and you put the uh, docket number, which for list three was uh, USTR-2018-0026. If you're interested in going to look, you can you just read all those comments. And a large, a large majority of them are you know from businesses. Um, usually it looks like one per business, but it, I guess different departments might put their own in as well. But I've seen some interesting ones from just private citizens who are commenting, some in support, some against it. And I think it's just interesting that uh, those might be viewed as the same. So a CEO submitting a comment might be the same as, you know, Joe Schmo. So the last piece I want to hit on is looking a little more ahead at the future of these tariffs. So we are seeing some finalized versions of the Section 301 tariffs. Uh, List 1 is final and in effect. List 2 will become effective in August, August 23rd, I believe. And then List 3 will likely be effective in October. So there's still some leg room here. Um, The product exclusion request deadline for List 1 extends through October 9th. So there's still some leeway here as to what is actually going to have that 10 to 25 percent tariff on it. So, I mean, looking towards the future, uh, especially with list three, um, since that's not even in effect and there's still the product exclusion request deadline for it, I mean, that could extend for several months of um, unsuredness around what's actually going to have a tariff on it. How do you think that might affect 
trade and business? You know, just that that mystery, that foggy cloud around everything. Uh, do you think that'll have an effect on it? That uncertainty, or will people charge ahead as if nothing has changed and then just sort of uh, you know pray for the best? I think it's incredibly hard to you know give a, an across the board answer for something like that, but I think it you know it does give a kind of a sense of hope to industry still that they can you know retain these products and not have to you know, God forbid drop a line or something like that, which would be. You know, it, it could affect a business pretty, pretty greatly. And uh, like you said, we're waiting on a finalized version of list three. And the three things that really can be affected on that final version are the lines to be included. So, so far it's 6,031 lines and, you know, there have been 6,000 comments. So we might see a reduction, uh, you know, really, but the, the ball here is in President Trump and the U.S. Trade Representative's court um, on an interview on Air Force One. President Trump said that, um, you know, he's kind of waiting on China. If, if they see anything substantial come out of them that's positive for the U.S., who knows, there might be a large reduction. And if uh, there's movement in the opposite direction, such as, you know, more retaliatory tariffs on their part, then I, I'm guessing we'll see, you know, a high tariff percentage as well as all of those lines being included. And there's also talk of a potential list four with that covers $267 billion in products, which is, you know, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, huge. Yeah, that's quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think on the business front too, we, we were just down at a trade show last week in, um, in South Carolina and, and talking to a lot of companies uh, and mentioning, you know, if they had heard about it, if they're thinking about it. And I think we've heard everything from companies that have some very specific, concise processes for how they're going to handle it. You know, Hey, we're going to add these three invoice tiers on there. It's very clear what you're getting charged because of the tariffs. And, you know, if they don't come into effect, we'll refund you, you know, whatever that accounting function is all the way down to, you know, yeah, we have no idea what's going on. We're just going to wait and see. So I think you're, you're seeing everything in between. I think some companies are better at monitoring it and, and preparing for it. Some companies are just kind of waiting and seeing. But I, I think there's no being behind. I think everyone's kind of in the same boat. Everyone's just as confused or trying to figure out what's actually going to happen or just trying to do the best they can with, with what we're seeing um, and, and preparing for all situations, you know, anywhere from the maximum proposed tariff percentages all the way down to to, you know, nothing happened and, and this just being kind of a, a crazy whirlwind that nothing came out of. So obviously no one really knows what's going to happen mm -hmm. um, and it's going to impact different businesses very differently. You know, some some products might be included, some might be not. Some companies could have everything included. Some companies could have nothing right. included and just it doesn't even affect them. So yeah. I think we're, we're just kind of waiting and seeing for these last couple of weeks to see how things shake out and, and we'll see some some more formal processes from there. I think that's that's part of the frustration is that you don't know what is going to have a tariff tacked onto it until you see the list in front of you. It's just so difficult to predict. Um, which I think in a way sort of makes you on a, on a business perspective have to continue headstrong and not really let it, um, you know, boil up and, and frustrate you too much. It's just kind of like, okay, we're, we don't really know what the, um, what the final tariff list is going to look like. So might as well just charge ahead like there are no tariffs to be proposed and continue sending in um, those product ex exclusion requests and do your part as a business um, to sort of prove, you know, why this product shouldn't have a tariff on it instead of, uh, instead of making a rash decision that, you know, might turn around and, and bite you in the back. Yeah, I think on the TCC side, our approach has kind of been to just be as clear and open as possible. You know, obviously, we, we have our own podcast series that we've been when talking about the, the tariffs for quite a while now. Uh, we do our monthly newsletters and put stuff up on our website and things like that just to give people 
all the information that's available and kind of what we're seeing. And Matt, Matt's done some great work with monitoring it and producing different documents that have some really good, concise information and just trying to say, hey, here's all the info. Here's how we have it. Here's what we're seeing. You know, feel free to contact us if you have questions. Otherwise, just, you know, check it out, follow along, see what we're seeing. And, you know, we're happy to, to help and make recommendations and, and discuss kind of what's happening, at least from our eyes. Obviously, we're not experts in tariff law, or at least I know I'm not. Um, <laughs> but just, just trying to be as open as possible and, and sharing information that we're seeing and, and sharing, you know, as much as possible to help our customers and business partners make as informed decisions as possible, because that's really, I think, all anybody can do at this point. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, Matt, Ben, I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast and helping us break down this uh, uh, sect of tariffs so many different effects that are going to come through the pipeline here but it's um it's at least hopeful to know that there are methods to you know counteract some of these tariffs that that may have a really drastic effect on chemicals being distributed uh through the states so i'm i'm excited uh, i'm a little nervous but but mostly just keeping an eye on on how this evolves especially with the possibility of list four coming around the corner. Uh, and I mean, you mentioned $267 billion of tariffs. That's that's pretty intense there. So it's just keeping fingers crossed and, and looking to the future for what that might mean uh, for chemical distribution. But I want to thank you both for coming on and giving us this breakdown of what's already in effect, what might be in effect soon, and uh, how businesses might or should react to these potential tariffs. Yeah, I appreciate you having us. I know Definitely enjoyed sitting down this morning and, and talk about it and yeah. seeing where things are at. And we're, we're, I guess, looking forward to seeing how things shake out and, and continuing to monitor the situation. Yeah, I think it'll be a busy next few weeks here. Yeah, it seems, it seems <laughs> that way. We're making Matt and just keep this, uh, this month. So, All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.